0: When the Godhead had a meeting and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit decided to create another creation other than the angelic creation, they created humanity not because they needed us, because they are perfect, the Father, the Son, and the Holy They are immutable. They're unchanging. Sometimes we sing songs up here that are really not biblically sound. You know, we sing songs like, God needed some love so he created us. No, that's not true. (laughs) God needed, you know, intimacy so he created mankind. No, it's not true. God created us because he wanted to give love, but he didn't have to give love. But he created us to not only love the first creation of the angelic race, but the human race. And he created us so that in that love, we would learn how to fellowship. Every day in Genesis chapter 1, the Lord God came down and walked in the cool of the garden that he would have fellowship with Adam. And then when he created Eve, I'm sure he did the same thing. And in that fellowship, they would talk, they would commune. Now last week I began a series called The Music of Marriage, And I said, listen, if you're going to have some music in your marriage, you better learn to communicate to your spouse. It begins by you learning how to respect, love, and communicate to your mother and father when you're young. That's where it begins. And you watch it. And then it goes on. You really can't get to know someone unless you can communicate. And so I've called uh, the music of marriage, you know, in music... The C note is a very easy key to play when you're you're doing a song in C. You know, there's no sharps, there's no flats. And the C note for the music of marriage for your marriage is communication, communication. We get to know each other. We resolve conflict with communication. We understand what our spouse's needs are, what their wants are, everything you need to know, comes from communication. And God created us with the ability to to communicate. You with me? Now, when you go to war with an enemy, the enemy that cuts the lines on the front communication is the one that has a tactical advantage. And this is what the devil tries to do. He tries to cut the lines of communication between children and parents, spouses, friends. And when you're no longer talking, you begin to assume things that are not always right. And that's where the devil comes in. So last week I began this and I talked to you about five levels of communication. I said the first is frivolous. How are you doing? How's the weather? You know, how are those Yankees doing? What about those Mets? It's just, you're just conversation starters. And then you go to the next level, facts. You don't wanna have friends with people who can't ever tell the truth. And so that grows in that relationship. And then the third one is what I call, it's more of a Christian friendship, fellowship. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so that's, that's the minimum. But when you get married, you want to go to the next level, and that's called the feeling level. And I said last week that women are very, very immodest with their feelings. They'll tell anyone, anywhere, anytime, anyplace about how they're feeling. Men are very modest about their feelings. They will never tell you how they're feeling. They won't even tell their wives unless they know it's a place of security. Now, women are very modest physically for the most part. And men aren't so modest physically sometimes. And so as women are modest physically and men aren't, women are immodest emotionally and men are very modest. And ladies, those of you that are married, if you ever want a man to open up and let you know what's in his heart, don't you dare tell what they said emotionally to you. Some marriages never make it, and that's where the divorce happens, right there. But for the ones that can understand, God just created us so different, you go to the last level, which I call the freedom level, when you can say anything, anytime to your spouse, your love, there's acceptance, there's just beautiful freedom in that marriage. The same way it was with Adam and God when they walked in the garden. So th- we talked about that, le- that last week. Today I want to talk to you about a few more keys to meaningful uh, conversation, a few more keys. And let's go to number one, and then we're going to read our text in Song of Solomon. It'll be Song of Solomon uh, 2. But let's look at number one. The first key to meaningful conversation in a marriage is that you need to have a little passion in your conversation. If you have been reading through the Bible with us, I hope you have, 70% 70% of Song of Solomon is their conversation, and some of it's pretty passionate, isn't it? Some people go, oh, Pastor, blush. You know? I said, well, you shouldn't blush because that's the way it's supposed to be in a marriage. It's not X-rated. It is passionate language that should be in a marriage. Now, when you're young, you have passion, you know, and you just try to win her heart, and she tries to win your heart, and you get a little bit older, you get a bit lazy sometimes. And you realize you got to work at the passion a little bit. It just doesn't always come naturally. So let's look at Song of Solomon, chapter 2. If you would go to chapter 2, verse 8. And let's look at some of the passion between Solomon and one of his wives. She was a Shulamite wife. And I want you to see some of the passion. Why don't you stand up for a second? Have you change your positions? And we'll read the even verses together so we can make sure you had passion in your mouth today, all right, and I'll read the odd. Here we go, let's read together. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping on the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall, He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. This time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. And we'll end with this verse. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Some, some passion in that. Some romance, a little poetry. How many have ever written poetry before? It's, it's hard for me. But this is the passion they have. So let's let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, for the young people that want to get married and for the marriages that are in the sound of my voice online and here at the church. May the teaching from your word today strengthen their marriages. Bring, Lord God, the true biblical meaning of intimacy of what you created us for. And I pray, Lord, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive the word that goes in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, please. Beautiful words of passion. That's the first key. And they were speaking these words to one another. And what you need to know when it comes to a good marriage is that when you say passionate words to your spouse, or passionate words to your children that you love, or your grandchildren, whatever it is, listen to me, you don't have to have feelings to speak passionate words. This is the lie from Hollywood. Love is a feeling. And when you get married, you have to have the feeling. And when the feeling goes away, divorce them. Love is not a feeling. And when you have no feeling towards your spouse in your heart, you can speak passionate words to them. Now, it always feels better when there's feeling and you can speak it, but you don't have to wait to have feelings to speak passionate words. How many are with me? That's the lie. Oh, when I feel it, then I'll do it. We, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we Christians walk by faith, not by sight, not by feelings, not by emotions. We don't have to wait till we feel something. How many, when the alarm clock goes, you just jump out of bed? Put your hands up. Whether you feel it or not, you're up! (laughs) And then other of you, I won't ask, you wait till the feeling comes to rise. (laughs) You don't always have to have the feeling to do something. And you don't always have to have the feeling to tell your husband, to tell your wife, passionate words. Now, go to the next scripture. I said this to the kids. I'll say it to you. And Death and life are in the power of your tongue. And if you love it and you want to eat its fruit, you better learn to love it. Well, how are you going to love it? Use it for love. Speak life, not death. And men, this is for you and me. He who finds a wife finds a, a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You know, there's different ways you can get favor from God. Do you know one of them is how you treat your wife? Whether you feel like it or not. Powerful promise of God. Treat your spouse with life and kindness. God says, angels, let my favor be upon him. Let my favor be upon them. Number two, let's go to the second key. The second key to meaningful conversation is that Solomon and his wife, the Shulamite, their words were plentiful, plentiful. Do you know that the United States politician did a study on couples and the conversation? And they spent millions of your tax dollars to do a study. And you know what they found out? They found out with the billions of your tax dollars that women talk more than men. Can you imagine that? <laughs> your tax dollars going to good work. You know what else they found out? That for a woman to be emotionally healthy, she has to speak 30,000 words a day. For a man to be emotionally healthy, he has to speak 15,000 words a day. You know what they also found out? When most men get home from work, they're close to 15,000 words. When women get home, hey, they just started the engine. (laughs) This is true. This is true. It needs, and you want meaningful conversation? Listen to me, men. Solomon and his wife's words were plentiful. Even when you don't feel like it, you need to let your wife talk. You got to let them speak. Go to the next scripture. Look at what Solomon says. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock in the secret place of the steep pathway. Let me see your form. Now, most of us men, we say that to our wives, don't we? Let's be honest. Let me see your form. But he doesn't stop there. He says, read it with me. Oh, yeah. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. Men, we have to let our spouses talk. This is one of the ways that you can prevent an affair. It's one of the ways you can prevent divorce because if you don't let them talk, they'll find a man who will let them talk. And so this is a part of a good marriage. Young people who are not married, listen to me. You better have a boyfriend that lets you talk and doesn't shut you down. Very important that we understand that, to have a healthy relationship. So Cindy and I, we've learned with this. I've learned through studying, and I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good spouse. I want to be a good example to my children. And so I've had to learn how to talk because I can't sit down and talk to my wife for an hour in a row. I'll be a little transparent. When I was young and used to date girls, those pretty girls that would call me up and think they could talk to me for an hour on the phone, I hung up on them. We're not free. I, can't, I, can't. I had some girls wanting to talk to me three hours through the night. I said, my sleep is more important. Didn't work out for me and those girls. God was trying to tell me something. Girls like to talk, and you better learn how to like to talk. Now, I'm not going to lose sleep over it, and I can't, talk. I can't even talk to my kids for a half an hour. So I had to learn, this is for some of you men, if you can't handle talking for long times, talk many short times. So Cindy and I, we have coffee in the morning. Talk, talk, talk. When I come to the church, I may text her or call her on the phone. Talk, talk, talk. Can handle that. Come home for lunch, dinner. Talk, talk, talk. Talk before we go watch TV. Talk before we go to bed. When we put our heads on our pillow, I say, honey, is there anything you want to tell me before we go to sleep? Yes, there is. <laughs> Talked. How many you follow me? Men, your words have to be plentiful. Solomon, I don't know if he kept those 300 wives, 700 concubines, I might have gotten it backwards, happy, but I can tell you, the man knew how to talk. The man had to talk. It had to be plentiful. And on and on and on it was. So, Go to the next uh, scripture, please. Here was a little bit of a conflict. It says, I was asleep, or I'm sorry, she's speaking now, okay? The Shulamite. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Solomon was knocking on her bedroom door. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove. My perfect one. I mean, there's some passion there. I, she's saying, I've taken off my robe. I've taken my robe off. How can I put it back on again? I've washed my feet. I've climbed in the bed. How can I defile them? Well, then my heart yearned for him. She changed her mind. I arose to open the door, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. There was some conversation, and guess what? They missed each other. He came and wanted some sexual intimacy. She says, Why didn't you come a little earlier, honey? And then she goes, oh, You know what? I'm not going to be selfish. So she gets up, opens the door. He's gone. He's gone. Very interesting, isn't it? Well, look at some of those words. You could translate my beloved into my lover my lover. Let's, let's go to the third key. Their words were personal, my beloved, my lover, my dove, my stag. One of the things you need to understand in a marriage is that there are some words that should just stay in the marriage and never go outside the marriage. I'm talking about how men are immodest emotionally, and when they call you and express some emotional words just for you. You keep them yourself. How many of you have maybe some pet names for your spouse? Just you and your spouse, no one else knows. That's important. Those are, they stay with it. You don't call some other man the same affectionate words you call your husband. That's a recipe for an affair. And you don't call some other woman the same thing. You want to have meaningful conversation. Your words need to stay personal in the marriage. How many are with me? Cindy and I, we have some words. If you are around us, you'll hear me call her honey. You know, I call her honey a lot, but at home there are other words that I express, and they're not mean words, all right? She doesn't call me mean words, and if she does, she apologizes, or if I do, I apologize, but special words that stoke the love of marriage. You should have them. They had them, Solomon. But then there are other things that you need to keep in your marriage personal. And that's when you have a conflict in your marriage, when you have complaining. How many know there are some complaints that you should keep in the marriage too? When a woman takes her complaints about her husband to another man, I find out other men will listen to it. I've also found out something in the last 25 years. Some people don't care whether you have a ring on your finger or not anymore. They used to honor the covenant of marriage. Not now. And so you take your complaints, you keep them in the marriage. You don't tell another man, you don't tell another woman, because it can be a disaster for uh, your family. Well, Solomon came to the bedroom, knocked on the door, He wanted something from his wife in the confines of marriage. And she's like, why didn't you come an hour early? I'm tired. I took off my robe. I washed my feet. There was a little bit of uh, miscommunication going on. So she said, all right, I'll get up. I'll let you come on in. And he says, forget it. And he's gone. Do you think there was a little bit of complaining the next morning at the dinner table? Why'd you lock the door? Well, I usually do when I go to sleep. Why didn't you go of bed? I did get out of bed. But when I got there, you left. Why did you leave? Those are the conversations that stay within the marriage. Now listen to me, men. This is very important. If you are ever going to have a very good marriage, you must allow your wife to complain to you. You must, if you want a good marriage, you must allow your spouse to complain. Don't let them go complain to another man or another woman. Understand a healthy marriage is about solving problems. And if you're going to solve problems, you've got to complain about the problem sometimes. It is healthy. It is normal. Don't be like the pastor when I first started out and I would just shut down my wife. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about the complaints. I don't want to hear it. Kids complain, you complain, friends complain. I don't want to hear it. But that's a recipe for a disastrous divorce. And I had to learn, it's okay to complain in a marriage. Solomon, I know, complained the next day to the Shulamite. The Shulamite woman complained. Hey, buddy, let's work on our timing. You've got to learn how to complain and complain the right way. So keep them in the marriage. Keep your words personal. Keep them in a marriage. Now, we have a young couples group in this church, and we try to help people, whether you have marriage problems or not. We're grateful we help people. But earlier in our marriage, we would do a lot of counseling. And usually, the man was too prideful to come with the wife, so the wife would come, and she would start unloading all this stuff. And when Cindy and I were listening You know, one of us would say, have you told your husband all these things? And she would usually say, oh, no. If I told them these complaints, he'd go ballistic. And I say, see, that's the problem in the marriage. He's not giving you a chance to complain. Now, because the pastor is saying it's normal to complain in a marriage, you also have to use wisdom in complaining, ladies and gentlemen. Solomon said... There's a time for every season. There's a time for everything under the sun. How many know when your husband wakes up and hasn't had his coffee, that's not the time to start complaining? How many know when he gets home from a difficult work and his blood sugar's low? That's not a time to meet him at a door and go after him. You have to use wisdom. Get him a cookie. Give him a Kit Kat give him a bowl of ice cream and give him 15 minutes and that blood sugar will come up and he will be grateful he will listen to your difficult day well how long how often should you complain well this is my advice and i too think i have the spirit of god there is one day a week called the sabbath And I think every marriage should have at least one day and no more than one day that you can have a bad day and complain. But if you're going to complain, complain about things that you can resolve. Don't complain about the weather and the grass. Don't complain about the Yankees and the Giants. Complain about meaningful things. We're talking about meaning. Are you with me? When you give your husband seven things on a honey-to-do list, and he gets six of them done. Don't complain about the seventh one. (laughs) If you really wanted that, that should have been at number... How many are with me? Very important that we understand. Next verse. Here's a couple that had problems with complaining. Read it with me. Better to dwell in a wilderness than with a contentious wife and an angry woman. Let's think about this. Let's think about this. Now, the man was in the wilderness because she either complained too much or in the woman's defense, she was angry and contentious because he never let her complain. You with me? That should stay in the marriage, personal. You complain to resolve things. When she says, honey, it's the second week the car has been knocking, would you please, I I feel insecure driving the car around, it's knocking all the time. Honey, the air condition isn't working, it's 90 degrees, please, please call someone. Those are legitimate complaints. The heat's not working and tomorrow's Christmas Eve, Could you please call the HVC guy and HVAC? Please, those are legitimate complaints. But you keep them in the marriage. Now, I don't know if you have ever gone to some of these stores, and my wife usually takes back products that are broken or returns items, but usually when you go to Kohl's or JCPenney or you know, some big store, you go to this customer's relations and you take something back, and most of the time, they're smiling and they're gonna help you, they're gonna take the product back, and they're just gonna make your day. But every once in a while, when you take something back that's broken, every once in a while, there's someone at the customer relations that is there at JCPenney, and they're not in a good mood. That ever happened to anyone? And you go back and they, they kind of got an attitude and they snip at you and it's almost like they make you feel like a criminal for even buying the thing. Every marriage needs to have a customer relations counter. <laughs> Let me say that again. Every marriage needs to have a customer relations countertop where when one of the spouses comes to complain, the other one doesn't cop an attitude, but you listen, and and you smile, and you say, you know what, I can't get to that today, but I'm going to fix that, and you're going to fix it, and it strengthens the relationship, and it gives you meaningful conversation. You with me? Don't bring an attitude. Just understand that a good marriage requires continual maintenance young people no spouse is going to be the answer to all your dreams don't go into marriage thinking if I can just marry the perfect woman the perfect guy no such thing I'm sorry that the devil lied to you through someone all right no one can fix all your problems only Jesus Christ can And God created the marriage so that Jesus would be the glue that holds you. Not not the spouse. And so you're going to have to resolve these things. And let's go on to the last one, the last key to meaningful conversation. The last key is that Solomon and his wife, their words were, say it with me, They weren't negative, they weren't destructive, they were not critical, they were positive. What if I don't feel positive, Pastor? You don't have to feel positive to speak positive words. It's just called wisdom. Very important that we speak positive words, positive speech. My wife's a great cook, I brag on her cooking. She goes, well, I'm not as good as some of these Italian cooks in this church. I said, honey, I'm not comparing you to them. I'm just saying you're a good cook, all right? I'm not skin and bones, you can tell. I'm very happy. It's the way it is. I say positive things. She said, I'm a better baker. Yeah, you're a great baker. And I try to say positive things. You need to say positive things that have meaningful conversation. It just grows that. Go to the, go to the next scripture, please. The Shulamite is speaking, and she said uh, no, not that one, um, five sixteen, please. Song of Solomon five, verse sixteen. There you go. She says to him, His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, this is my lover, and this is my what? Who better to have a best friend than with your spouse, right? "'O oh, daughters of Jerusalem.'" She's saying, listen, listen. Now, when she says his mouth is most sweet, she's not saying that he had a spearmint shirt or peppermint candy in his mouth, all right? She's not saying the guy's got halitosis and he just rinsed his mouth out with scope, thank God. That's not what she's saying. She's referring to his words. His words are sweet. His words are positive not negative. That's what it's all about. And then this is what we have to do. We have to speak words to our spouses, speak them positive, but also speak them in a motive just because we love them and we're not trying to get something from her. The motive of positive words. Let me give you an example. We'll close with this. There is this guy from Ireland that went on a vacation to Europe. And there's this guy from England that went on occasion over to Europe. And they were both driving on the wrong side of the road, coming at each other at nighttime. And just before they saw each other, they swerved, but bang, they hit each other right on. One spun over over on the shoulder, the other one spun over and went down uh, the the hill a little bit. The Irishman got out. He goes, oh, thank you, God. Should have been dead hitting someone head on. And so he's on the shoulder. He gets up. He looks over there, and this other guy comes in. He finds out he's English, and the English guy says, this is a sign. We should be dead. And the Irishman, he's a little skeptical of the Englishman, and he says, you know what? We should both be dead. And the Irishman says, yeah, you're right. And the Englishman says, I think we've had too many Differences and prejudice between our two nations for so long, I think this is a sign that God wants us to forgive our petty differences. The Irishman says, okay. He says, I want to shake on it, the Englishman said. And he says, okay, so he shakes on it. And then the Irishman says, you know what? I got some alcohol in the back of my car. Let me see if any of it survived the wreck. And the Englishman says, that's a great idea. We can drink to this. So the Irishman goes gets his trunk. There's one bottle that's not broken, Irish whiskey. So he pulls it out, pulls off the cap, and the Englishman grabs it. He starts chugging it down, and after halfway done, he says, this is good stuff. He says, thank you for drinking to our new friendship. Now you drink. And the Irishman took the bottle, and put the cap on, and he says, I'll wait till after the police come. Now, those are positive words with the wrong motive. <laughs> and men, when you say positive words, you know, when my wife and I counseled, how many times women would say to me, the only time he wants anything is if it, he's only nice to me if it's, he wants food, sex, or the remote control. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's being nice with the wrong motive. Now, ladies, God created man and woman different. You can read as many Harlequin romance novels as you want and pretend that maybe your husband will become like that guy. It ain't gonna happen. Yeah, no Fabio, not gonna happen. The big, we're just different. And you have to accept that. And we have to learn to love and communicate so we can have meaningful conversation. You know, most of those romance novels, they're written by women. Don't be naive. When you look at a woman's magazine, you'll find something like this. How to create intimacy in a marriage. You look in a guy's magazine. How to remodel your garage. You look at a woman's magazine, how to have harmony in the home. You look in a men's magazine, how to double your gas mileage. (laughs) We're just different. We're just different. And you don't want him to be like you, and you and we don't want you to be like us. But we do want intimacy. And intimacy comes, young people, not from sex. Don't believe the lie from Hollywood. Intimacy between God Almighty and Adam came every day when God would come down in the Garden of Eden and he would walk and fellowship and they were intimate. And then Eve came into the picture and I'm sure the same intimacy happened. Adam and Eve would walk in the qu- and there was intimacy. There was intimacy. And intimacy comes from conversation, it needs to be passionate. It needs to be plentiful, all right? It needs to be kept personal sometimes. Keep it in the marriage. And then lastly, it has to be positive. It just just needs, don't destroy one another. Don't just compliment each other. Don't tell her that you love her. Tell her why you love her. I had one guy say, I told her I loved her at the altar 40 years ago. What does she want? <laughs> and I said, I just thought, man, you, you are treading on thin ice. Learn from the mistakes of others and go after a good marriage. It takes work. It takes work. But as followers of Jesus Christ, where we come up short, the grace of God makes up the difference. It makes up the difference. Let me tell you something. Uh, I always, I always, ask my wife, you know, I apologize a lot more in the marriage than she does. But I always want to apologize because I want a good marriage. And I want a good marriage because I want my children to have a good marriage. I want my grandchildren to have a good marriage. And even though I know one day I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, give an account of the woman that I gave to you as a gift. I want you to tell me how you treated her. That's gonna happen one day. But there's no fear in my heart because I love her and I try. Now, I'm about 15,500 words a day. So, how many know I have to really sparingly use my words to get to listen to my wife's 30? It's important. It's important. But I'm grateful. This year, this August, we're 31 years. 31. How many of you are over 30 years' marriage? Raise your hand, please. Raise your hand. Uh, Young people, look around. Look around. Hands down. How many of you are 40 years and above? Raise your hand. One, two, three. How many of you are 50 years and above? Wonderful, wonderful, Pastor and Sister Tina Pannell. It's amazing. Let me tell you something, that young people. There's a lot of words that went between the husband and a wife in those last 50 years, and they're not all perfect words. They're not all words that you had to feel. But you know what? He who began a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that means your marriage and your children and everything else, amen? It takes continual maintenance, but it's worth it. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we thank you for this Song of Solomon book that talks about the importance of talking and communicating and that intimacy Lord is not something that is physical it's something that begins with the tongue communication I pray Lord for the young people that want to be married I pray Lord that they would Father seek first your kingdom and your righteousness that all these other wonderful things can be added to their marriage and their family and to their lives. I pray, Father, that they would not sell out. I pray, Father, that, Lord, they would trust you in your word. I thank you, Lord, for the many marriages that are in this church and the ones that are coming. I pray that they would remember the things, Lord, that I've spoken today from your word and they would add it to help their marriage, that they would learn to apologize when they need to just humble themselves and say, I'm sorry. Help us, Lord, to speak words of life into our relationships, we ask, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Would you put the uh, scripture up there? We apologize again for being a little too warm today, kind of like an old-time Pentecostal service. There was a time when Pentecostals couldn't afford air (laughs) conditioning. I remember that. (laughs) Let's say it together as a confession of our faith and trust in the Lord. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That means you. It means your marriage. You can, you can hold that promise for your children, for your grandchildren. Lay hold of it, amen. amen? Amen. Let's close and I'll bless you with a blessing. Now, When I bless you with a blessing, I don't just do the Levitical Aaronic prayer just to be nice. I'm speaking life over you. You know that, right? I'm speaking blessing over you. I do it as an example. You, you parents should do the same to your children. Speak life and blessing over them. I've, I've done it so many times with my two boys, and I'm amazed at how well God has blessed them in this life. So receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face, that's his favor, to shine upon you and to be gracious to you May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. And may he teach you how to humble yourself and use your tongue to apologize. And may the Spirit of God give you creative, positive words to speak life into your marriage, into your family, at the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.